0: Good morning, Crosswalk. Good morning. Thank you, Landon. How are we doing? Good. We're good? This is awesome. I'm just going to say it. I'm like a kid in a candy store. We've been so excited uh, to get this up and get this together. I just have to take a moment to do some shout outs. First of all, those that traveled from Chattanooga, Tennessee to help install this week. Wesley and Nehemiah, who I think are back over here making sure that nothing explodes uh, or anything. So thank you uh, for that. And I have to do a big shout-out to our creative director, Rick Anderson, Jr. He's over here playing, usually, and is kind of designed to put together all this stuff. So a big hand for Rick, um, please. You, you, you don't realize, unless you spend your time in this kind of stuff, what... What all of this means. Yes, we want to enhance and grow the worship experience, but before we pretty much had an on and off switch. And we couldn't go over here and still have light. And I couldn't go over here and still have light. And now we do! It's so good! So, anyway, uh, if I act a little more giddy than normal, you know why. Um, So, super excited. We We even have hazers, it's so cool. And, and mind you, right now we have to figure out like the balance between the HVAC system and the hazers because for those that don't know, like, ha- like having these kind of lights in this stuff, it doesn't really do anything unless you have hazers to kind of pick up the, the light, the beams and that kind of stuff. Um, but right now because the HVAC system pushes the air down, it's more like Portland fog. Um, than really what it's supposed to be. So we're working on it, working on it. We're excited. A lot has happened since last week when we met. First of all, our teams for the Super Bowl have been chosen. Um, And I want to thank all of you who reached out this week for condolences to me when my team lost by three points. Um, Thank you. And by thank you, uh, I really want to say none of you reached out. (laughs) That's not... True. I mean, the Pascoes, the Pascoes were there. That, I, I take it back. They were, they were feeling for me as their team advanced, <laughs> Philadelphia. Um, the good news for me is now I can just to watch the Super Bowl and not stress out. I can host you. I hope you come to our Super Bowl party at the New Myers. We're going to have a ton of fun um, and that, but now I can have fun too because I don't have to figure out how my team's going to lose this year. So. I'm super excited. Of course, you also know uh, this stuff has nothing to do with the sermon today. Um, uh, if you saw the other news this week, uh, NFL quarterback Tom Brady retired again. Yeah, yeah. So some are excited about that. Well, don't worry. Sources say that his announcement to reverse that decision is coming April 1. Um, it's funny. My son even texted me and he was like, Do we believe the news, Dad? I was like, I don't know, he can change his mind. Uh, so anyway, lots of, lots of stuff going on. But before we get into today's teaching, we also want to recognize that we are officially in February, and February is Black History Month. Um, and so we want to celebrate um, the history, the contribution, and the journey of our black brothers and sisters. Uh, I long for the day that is coming soon. When, as Revelation says, we get to stand together before the throne as a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Until that day comes, I hope we can listen to, learn from, advocate for one another. Uh, But especially this month, uh, we think about um, our black brothers and sisters. And so thank you for being here with us. Over the last five weeks, we have been walking through what it means for us as a community to put skin on the gospel to unpack our one-word vision and mission statement, which is to love well. If we are going to love well, what does that mean? What does that look like? And so each week we've been unpacking a different end statement for Crosswalk, and we have five of them. First of all, for loving well, we believe that it means to be a community of belonging, which is something we both are, and we strive for. Being a community of belonging means advocating. It means loving. It means uh, uh, accepting people with open arms. It means being a little uncomfortable at times while we seek to make sure everyone is connected and everyone feels that they belong. We spent time wrestling with what it means to be a community that learns and grows in an authentic relationship with God, recognizing that being authentic means being vulnerable, but the more vulnerable we are with each other and with God, then the closer we get to being the kind of community God calls us to be. We talked about being a community that is relevant in living out the ways of Jesus in our time and place, and how this begins with recognizing that we were all created in the image of God, and that we are seeking not to be trendy, but to be transcendent, very different. Last week, we spent time with the idea of being a community that lives beyond ourselves in caring and advocating for the powerless, the oppressed, and the abandoned. We do this by recognizing that every individual is worthy of love, respect, and grace. This week, we look at our final end statement, and one that means a lot to me. Uh, because I believe it's the outgrowth of all the others. For a Crosswalk, if we are to be a community that loves well, then we must be a community that exemplifies servant leadership. Our work done right as a community of faith should result in a life of service to God and to others. So, the base of it, what this means, we got to check our egos at the door. So... I don't know how many of you know this, but I actually have written uh, several books Um, and I don't want you to go searching on Amazon for them because they're actually uh, stored currently on a hard drive that is located safely and securely in my brain. So, one day I'll I'll write it out, but right now I've got several. There's some kids books in there, there's some other books. Here's a couple of examples. Um, I I have the um, sequel to Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages. If if you did premarital counseling, you probably had this addressed somewhere, those five love languages of how you give love and how you receive love. Is it, you know, acts of service? Is it physical touch? Is it words of affirmation? Well, I have the sixth love language, and that's the title of the book, The Sixth Love Language, and at the bottom, it says ridicule. Do you not believe me? I don't know if you believe me. The sixth love language is ridicule. It's a book about how making fun of other people is actually just another way to say, I love you, You have to work at it. There's ways to do it and ways not to do it. But it's the sixth love language. I even have the cover of this book in my mind. If any of you know uh, my dear friend Bridget Whitehead, uh, Bechtel is her maiden name. She is a teacher up at Meadowglade Adventist Elementary School. And uh, she'll be on the cover with pigtails crying with mascara running down her face. And it says the sixth love language ridicule. That's, That's my first book. Um, that I'm working on. My second book uh, applies a little bit more. My second book is a book about servant leadership, and it is called Other Duties as Assigned. Why is it called that? Because I believe that a servant leader spends most of their life in Other Duties as Assigned. Now we've all looked at job descriptions and if we were excited about the job, I'm sure that the job description had certain things, uh, tasks, bullet points that we really were looking forward to being a part of. I found one on LinkedIn that I thought was really interesting. The uh, responsibilities included things like be adventurous, creative, and open-minded. It's a good one. Deliver wow through service. Okay? Build open and honest relationships with communication. And then my favorite: create fun and a little weirdness. Create fun and a little weirdness. I might like to work at this place. But then on every job description, no matter how boring or exciting it is, they almost always end with that one line that says, and other duties as assigned, right? And most of us know we've spent a lot of time in our jobs doing things that nobody told us we would have to do. But I think that that is the sweet spot for a servant leader. For example, in my job as a pastor, my pastor's job description says things like, you know, be creative in planning the worship services every week. Spend time in the Word to prepare meaningful sermons. Um, You know, uh, do visitations for members in crisis and things like that. But as a church planter, I've spent a lot of time in other duties as assigned, like scoping out parking lots for worship experiences, or doing an incredible amount of research on coffee machines. They don't teach you that stuff at the seminary. I'll tell you that right now. There is not a cafe class at the seminary you can take, right? So there's all sorts of things that you end up doing, none of which are in my job description, but all of which are needed. So the job of a servant leader is to see a need and then find ways to meet a need, even if no one tells you about it. And this doesn't apply just to church life. This is our call in life, at work, at home, in the grocery store, in the time we spend online. A servant leader isn't a checklist or a title we put on and take off. It's a way of life. Uh, one of the things, if, if you're a taller person, uh, Zachary was here with us today, leading out, really excited to have him with us. Zachary, are you 6'6"? Six, six? Seven. 7. six, six seven. <laughs> All right. Sorry, I lost that inch. I have to stand up straight around Zachary, which I really like. Um, but the thing that we often get asked when we're in a grocery store, uh, you know this, you're walking down an aisle, and you see somebody looking up at that top shelf, and they're shorter in stature. And you know they're going to ask you if you can grab that thing off the top shelf for them, right? And this is an attitude you carry with you. I, when I was walking down at a Walmart, I saw a woman doing that. She was very short, and she was looking up at that top shelf. And I had planned to, once I got close enough to her, I was going to say, can I, can I get something for you? But she was way ahead of the game. She shouted down the aisle at me. And she said, she, uh, this was great. She said, hey, if I promise to tie your shoes next time you need it, would you reach up to that top shelf and give me that you know, thing or whatever? So I was like, wow, I'd, I'd never heard that before. So I reached up, I got that thing for her, I gave it to her and she goes to turn away and I said, can I have your number? She's like, well, I don't, why do you want my number? And I said, well, how am I gonna get you to tie my shoes? If I don't have your number, it was a great exchange. But living a life, looking out for the needs around you and how you can serve other people is what it means to be a servant leader. A perfect example of this attitude was something that happened early on in our planting this church. It was back in the thick of the pandemic, October of 2020. We were able to have a gathering, but we could only have 50 people in the room, which is about the number of folks we had volunteering. Um, And as we gathered together to, to worship, we started, you know, everybody was scurrying around doing things, but I looked up at one point and I saw Emily Forche. Now, Emily is one of those quiet servant leaders who works in the back and puts together our slides and just makes sure everything happens and looks right. And Emily was there doing something that no one told her to do. I saw her vacuuming the chairs. Now, those chairs probably hadn't been vacuumed since the dawn of time. But Emily thought to herself, you know, people are gonna come into this space and we wanna make sure they have a good experience and they're not thinking about how dirty the chairs are. So I'm gonna take this vacuum and I'm gonna vacuum these chairs. She didn't do it for fanfare. She didn't do it because she thought, well, you know, two years later, Patty's gonna share this story. She did it because it needed to be done. That's the job of a servant leader. I often tell people, especially in church work, I said, don't, I say, don't, do, don't ask someone else to do something that you yourself are not willing to do. Don't ask someone else to do something that you yourself are not willing to do. I think that's the job of a servant leader. So I've seen so much of this done here at Crosswalk. You guys tug at my heart on a weekly basis when you run out to get a toddler bed for a young couple in need. I see you as you show up early to put out the, the, the incredibly heavy buckets of cement to hold our flags or the sign on the road. I see you do incredible things, serving free coffee to people to make sure they have a great morning, inviting others to come and experience here what you love about this place. But how does one become a servant leader? What is the framework to living a life of service? Well, to answer those questions, I'd like to unpack a very familiar verse. In fact, it's a verse that I've never preached from before because it's because it's so preached. Um, but I do think it is one that has the secret to what we're talking about today. The passage comes from the prophet Micah, who God spoke through in a time when Israel was a mess. They were being overrun and overpowered by other powers and authorities. Their sins were thicker than the stars in the sky. They fought each other and treated each other with incredible cruelty and they had lost touch with God. Israel cried out to God to fix their circumstances which is what we often do, but what they needed was a change of heart. The people tried to figure out what it would take to appease God and win back his favor because they thought that's how God works. So they kind of went through the list. Would it be 1,000 rams? Could we sacrifice 1,000 rams? What about 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Would that be enough to win back your favor and fix our circumstances? Or, or what if we gave you our most valuable possession and we sacrificed our firstborn children? They wanted to know the right formula for forgiveness. And we still do this today when guilt and shame overwhelm us. We still look for ways to appease God transactionally, like trying to buy our freedom. But God's response is not what they expected. God always does the heavy lifting in our relationship. He's the one who forgives, who reconciles, who has bought our freedom with his own blood. He is the one who is faithful even when we are not, and what does he hope for from us in return? Micah the prophet writes, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God didn't want their sacrifices. He would shed enough blood for all of us. And he doesn't ask for penance from us or to complete a checklist of holy acts before we can come into his presence. What God cares most about is the condition of our hearts. And consequently, our connection to him is often measured in how we treat one another. As King David once wrote, you do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one, You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. So God's request of his children involved three things, three ways for us to learn to love and serve. The first, do what is right. Some translations say to do justly. This request is relational. It involves a transaction between us, humans, God desires for us to treat each other better, to stop lying and cheating our way to the top, to be honest and willing to put the needs of others in front of ourselves. Or as Paul said in Philippians, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Now, the humility we're asked to practice is something we often get wrong. It doesn't say we should be pushovers or think poorly of ourselves. C.S. Lewis, excuse me, C.S. Lewis says it best when he wrote that true humility is not someone who thinks less of themselves, rather, it is someone who thinks of themselves less. To act justly is to live other-centered. As I often say, your life begins to have a point when you are no longer the point of your life. So acting justly begins when we can remove ourselves from the center of ourselves and seek to help others, work towards their well-being, and seek to restore a healthy relationship with God's creation. This is step one in becoming a servant leader. And the second step is not too far different from the first. It is love mercy. The language that is used here is covenant language. It means to enter into a relationship of mutual respect and love and in the time that micah is writing there were all sorts of separations between class and gender and a person who was superior in class was not to help or relate to someone who was inferior or even to receive help from someone who was inferior but what micah is talking about that god inspires is that we are created equal by god and that is how we should treat one another and notice how God doesn't say He wants us to be obligated to show mercy. He actually says He wants us to love mercy, to love caring for one another, to love doing right by one another, no matter what or who it is that we are helping. Like most requests from God, this is not easy for us to do, it is sometimes incredibly difficult. The Apostle Paul tells us that since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I love Paul's use of the phrase here, clothe yourselves, because clothing yourself is a choice. You walk into the closet in the morning and you have these options. What am I going to put on today? What is the outfit I'm going to wear What Paul is saying is to take time to choose mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience instead of the outfit you could wear, one of anger and jealousy and hatred and self-preservation and self-centeredness. Choose the right outfits, the attributes of a servant leader. But the last requirement Micah tells us about is the fuel that drives a servant leader it is what makes the other requirements possible micah simply says walk humbly with your god the first two requirements from god in this list are from uh, between us as humans whereas the last one is between us and god when jesus called the disciples it says he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons we often jump to the action part of this, the preaching and the driving out demons, but the first thing he appointed them to do was to be with him. We have to be with him to have the fuel to do the other things, to walk humbly with our God. It goes without saying that our connection with God is critical, and yet choosing to be with him as he chooses to be with us can often be difficult when we live such fast-paced lives one of my favorite stories from the gospel of luke it's a short story but i think it illustrates this well it's a story that often i think gets a little misunderstood especially with one character who gets a bad rap in the story it's the end of luke 10. jesus finds himself at the home of some friends martha mary and lazarus siblings As the story goes, while Mary sits at the Lord's feet, listening to what he has to say, which is the posture of a disciple, Martha was busy doing things. It says, Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits there while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. The picture is that Martha is the one doing everything, and Mary is seemingly doing nothing. Jesus turns to Martha and says, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, but there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. The typical interpretation of this passage is, Mary, good. Martha, bad. And then we could call it good. But look, dinner wasn't going to make itself. Martha was a servant. The problem, I don't think, was... The problem wasn't her doing. The problem was her interior state of being. Jesus said she was worried and upset. Other, uh, other translations say she was distracted. Her pace of life kept her from communing with God, which in turn made her bitter about serving other people. She was mad at her sister, probably mad at Jesus, just plain mad. She had lost her servant's heart. The pace of our lives often robs us of the chance to commune with God and to be in touch with the needs of others. Now, I do this all the time. I'm a Martha. I'm a doer, task-driven, and way too often I fall into the trap of doing so many things for Jesus that I don't do enough of them with Jesus. Not to mention all the regular noise of life with work and home and family and media and news, we have all got to learn to slow down. After all, if we claim to follow Jesus, we can't go faster than the one that we're following. To be a servant leader, we must learn to walk humbly with our God, and we can do that in the midst of activity, but we have to do the work of caring for our heart and our interior state. West African theologian Robert Sarah shares this commentary on this story from Luke. He says, Jesus rebukes Martha not for being busy in the kitchen, after all, she did have to prepare the meal, but for her inattentive interior attitude, betrayed by her annoyance with her sister, Christ tenderly invites her to stop so as to return to her heart, the place of true welcoming and the dwelling place of God's silent tenderness. The noise in Martha's life made it impossible for her to serve from her heart, Jesus graciously calls her back to that which matters most, to love, because everything comes from love. And Jesus invites Martha to keep a pace of life that allows her to care for her heart and to once again walk humbly with her Lord. I've often said that your ministry is your relationship with Jesus. That's where it all starts. So care for your walk, slow your pace in life, learn to walk humbly with God, and God will empower you with the ability to put others first and follow in his footsteps, because this Jesus we serve is all about service. Like Matthew tells us, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if you don't know what that walk with Jesus looks like, then that's what we're here for. We're here to help each other figure that out because there's no one formula, there's no one thing that's gonna fix it all. It's learning together to walk with Jesus and there are no experts in the company of Jesus. We're all trying to figure it out. Crosswalk will be a community that exemplifies servant leadership because our leader, Jesus, lived his life for others right up To the very end. May we all be willing to do the same. Today we're going to end our message a little bit differently. The voice that you have heard for our bumper video right before the message is the voice of William Johnson, whose friends call him Bill. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He's a member of Crosswalk Redlands. And Pastor Tim stopped by and spent some time interviewing him this week and asking him some questions. And I'd like to let him have the last words, most of the last words of this series. You see, Bill was someone who was high up in the Adventist church structure and he spent a lot of his life worried and distracted by many things. But then he had a heart attack and faced death and in his own words he says, when you come to the edge of life, you realize that the only thing you ever needed was Jesus. So let's watch this interview from Bill and Tim to see what he has to say about what it means for us to love well.
1: Um, I'm here with Bill Johnson, Elder William Johnson, probably more official, um, who is a member of our church and just um, a wonderful friend to me. And Bill, will you tell us a little, we reference you a lot. Your writing is on our, um, on our new graphic for our series. Can you tell us just a little bit about your life and kind of what, what you've done in your life so we kind of know?
2: Well, you know, I don't like to talk about myself. But I'll say this, it's been a wonderful life. And you've heard that before from a lot of people. I grew up um, from a big family, youngest of nine. Didn't go to church, we used to go fishing instead of going to church, because uh, uh, Dad became an Adventist after marriage for okay. some years. Mother never changed, and so we grew up Not going to church, not at all, but um, that encouraged me to read the Bible, and through that, eventually I became a Christian, baptized at age 16, Mm. and um, that really, that was was a key decision. 15 years in India, from there, called to the seminary, taught five years there, and from there, I was very happy at the seminary, really loved it. So we came out here and I um, uh, didn't stop working, stopped getting a salary, <laughs> but, uh, but I opened the door for writing. I love to write. Right. So now I could write. And yeah. I'm, I'm
1: holding your latest book right here, Living in Love, Snapshots yeah. of a Happy Life. Yeah. And um, I've, I've had a chance to read some of it and just have fallen in love with the anecdotes that you have and you even have a chapter about your wife, which is, is bold. That's a, that's a bold move. I'm sure she had editing um, rights
2: at the end of that. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but if she had objected, I certainly wouldn't changed. no. It, it came out just right.
1: Yeah. Um, what I love about this book is that it's talking about living in love. Yeah. And you know at Crosswalk, we say love well. Yeah. And, um, and this book is such a great match for that and I've got a couple questions okay. for you um, from this. What does, and this is a big question, right? But what does love and love well mean to you?
2: Let me just tell you a little story. We go out walking, Norley and I, along the road Huron, just up the street. So one day we're walking along halfway down there, a mile or so away, a couple of guys come running the other way, and they, you know, we wave to them. And then after a bit, they turned around and came back. Mm. And these guys, I don't know, they're probably around 50, or maybe 60. But they said, and I did, we didn't know them, actually. You know. They said, you've been around a while. <laughs> True. What does it all mean? What does it mean? Wow. I said, really, what I say in that book, it's all about love. Mm. God is love know that God is love. He's on our side, not against us. And the universe basically runs on love. Even though it's messed up and there's a lot of ugly stuff and terrible stuff, it's about love. That's the bottom line of the universe. I believe that. In
1: your chapter um, titled Bonnie, you end with this statement. You say the proof of love, genuine love, lies in our action toward the other. Um, when has when have you experienced that kind of action, actionable love from someone?
2: So one one of the many things, Nolan and I love about Crosswalk is that it's, it's a church that does that acts. It's not just preaching. It's not just talking. I think the Adventist Church is just burned out on all this talk, talk, talk. Mm-hmm. You know, get out and do something. Help people. Crosswalk is doing that.
1: In in the chapter "Surprised by Love," you say that if you live love, you will find love in the unlikeliest of places. Yes, you will. Where's the strangest place that you found that kind of love?
2: You know, in my semi-retirement, when I was asked to work among uh, other religions, non-Christian, to develop relationships, we started up out with the Muslims naturally. I never got beyond that in seven years. But I found, I found wonderful love among the Muslims. Love is not confined to the Christian religion. Right. Certainly not the Adventist religion. Mm -hmm. Love is everywhere because God is everywhere. That's right. And if we open ourselves to it, love is there. Mm.
1: Crosswalk is a, a really diverse church. Yeah. age you know i love it it's just it's so great and all the different campuses have different experiences um, if you get a chance to talk to everyone yeah right now yeah. what would you say to everyone who goes to crosswalk what would you what would you leave them with if you could leave them with something
2: i'd say celebrate what god is doing okay just thank him and praise him for the fact that he's brought us together we are so different you know i'm the oldest or very close to the oldest. <laughs> Here I am, at least twice or three times the age of a lot of the people there, or four times the age. <laughs> but you know, we're loved there, we're, we're greeted, and people hug us, and it is wonderful. So something wonderful is happening at Crosswalk. And um, I think it's, you know, for the Adventist Church, I think it's a sign of what might be for the whole Adventist community.
1: Um, So I'm going to do a little plug. You don't need to do this. I'm going to do a little plug for your book. It's called Living in Love, Snapshots of a Happy Life. And you can buy it on Amazon. And we love to have everyone that can buy it, not just because we love you, although that's a great reason. The reason why we we want people to buy this is because if you want to know about loving well, this book talks about it. And Bill, we're so thankful to have you and Nolene, your beautiful wife. Um, with us in in church almost every single week. You're all, you've been such a blessing in my life So I just want to thank you.
2: Why are well, you too kind?
1: Bill, thank you. We so appreciate your time. You're
2: welcome
0: Love is everywhere because God is everywhere So crosswalk let's love really really well Let's be a community of belonging. Let's learn and grow in an authentic relationship with God Let us um, learn to live out the ways of Jesus in our time and place. Let us do our best to care and advocate for the powerless, the oppressed, and abandoned. And let us be servant leaders because that's who Jesus is and Jesus is who we follow. Let's pray. Father God, God of love, God of grace, you have called us as a church to come together to be a place that doesn't just talk, but that serves and works to further the gospel message to the ends of the earth. Father, and we don't wanna run faster than you, we don't wanna be ahead of you, we wanna walk humbly with you so that we can be empowered to do what is right, to love mercy and to serve one another, For fanfare or recognition, but because it's the right thing to do. And may we be so focused on your love for us that if need be, we would lay our lives down for another to show them your love, because that's what you did for us. We pray these things in the precious and holy, beautiful, love-empowered name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand back up and worship with us.